Good evening. You can turn to Daniel chapter 3 tonight. As you turn out, get ready. Tonight I want to start off with reading a few verses from a very familiar story for all of us, probably even for the young people. Um, the account of Daniel and his two friends. Um, and we're not going to be reading the whole account, but just a portion of it tonight. And I only want to focus on this portion, but starting in verse 8 and going through to verse 18. We'll read through the whole lot and then we'll, we'll have an uh, opening prayer. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, or flute, the harp, the satbat, the psaltery, and the, the dulcema, again, words that I can't pronounce like the last time, and all other kinds of music that shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso, whoso falleth not down and worshippeth, that he should be cast into the midst of, the, of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They have not served thy gods, nor worshipped the image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not you serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if it be ready that at sorry, if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harps, and the other instruments that I can't pronounce, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, To thee, O king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it, so, if it be so, our Lord, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Let's open with a, a word of prayer, and then we'll take some thoughts from this passage. Lord, we praise you. We praise you that you have given us your infallible word, Lord, that we can look in and glean many things, Lord. Lord, we just pray that tonight we would take this small passage of the account of Daniel and his two friends, Lord, that stood up and did the right thing in a time of uh, tribulation. Lord, we just pray that you give me the, the words to say. I pray that people understand that, um, Lord, it's your word that needs to speak and not mine. And pray that that would be so tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so I've titled the message tonight, Delivered or Not?, it's a bit of a question, um, and I want you to sort of think about that throughout the message. Um, we'll see how we go. I think we may split it into two, but we'll see how we go with time tonight. Um, but when we think about 
um, our life and our human nature, we always try to take the path of least resistance. Much like an animal, we can think of uh, different animals, and maybe a cheetah or even a sheep. When they wear a path through, they don't go off that path. They'll always take that path. If there's a if there's a log in the way of a, a tiger or an animal, they'll go around it or under it. They won't expel more energy to go over it. They'll take the path of least resistance. And there's no if there's an easy way of doing something, our old nature is much the same way. It wants to take that way. And that's not saying that we can't be wise and, and try save extra effort in the things that we are trying to achieve to get the same result. But when it comes to following after the Lord, there is no shortcuts or easy way of doing things. The account of Daniel and his friends taking the stand against Nebuchadnezzar's law is a very well-known account, as we've mentioned before. And there are many different lessons we can take from this account. And I want to take one particular part of this account, which is mainly from how the men replied to Nebuchadnezzar when he tried to get them to buckle or to give in to this new rule. And that's in verses 16 to 18. <clears throat> These men definitely did not take the path of least resistance, but rather the path that God wanted them to take. <clears throat> Pardon me. I think Dad's passed a leg on to me this, this afternoon. So I'm going to be sipping on the water to keep my throat going. But in verse 8, we read about some characters. And, and, and the first part of the, the first point I've, I've titled The Great Opportunity. As Christians, a lot of times we'll face trials or hardships. And a lot of the times when we, when we initially are in that, we don't see it as an opportunity. Most times, our old nature wants to get out of it. It wants to take that path of least resistance. And it, it doesn't see it as an opportunity. It just sees it as a, a hazard or a, a, a nuisance or just a hard thing that we're going to have to go through. But tonight, I want us to maybe change that, help change that mindset. When we come up against hardships, let's think of it as an opportunity that God has brought through in, in, our, in our path. But f first of all, I want to consider the character here or the characters of this story um, we will consider the kings shortly, but first I want to consider the wicked Chaldeans mentioned in verse 8. Wherefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. <clears throat> These Chaldeans, the wicked ones, were always looking for an easy way to do things and to get to the top. They did not like Daniel and his two friends, and you can imagine the hatred that they had generally for the Jews, but particularly for Daniel and his two friends. We know that the Chaldeans had helped Nebuchadnezzar go into Jerusalem and besiege it and destroy it. Um, and I think in the last message we talked on that. But um, <clears throat> now these, these rotten Jews were not only back in Babylon, but they were actually um, being put in charge over the province of Babylon. So you can sort of just imagine the hatred that they would have for these people. For Daniel and his two friends. Their hearts were full of rage and they were looking for a way to get these guys out. They couldn't do it through hard work and being wise and maybe taking a lesson from Daniel. And the reason why they didn't have the wisdom is because they weren't following God. They didn't have God as their leader. These Daniel and his two friends, 
They believed in God and they were given wisdom, not of their own, but of God's. These men didn't understand that. Already these men had had proven themselves and been blessed through taking a stand by not eating the king's meat, but rather staying obedient to God's law. And I want us to sort of consider these Chaldeans. The world is full of that same character, the Chaldean character today. Everyone, a lot of people want to take advantage of anyone else and anything else to either get positions or possessions, no matter what the expense might be to another person. When it comes to spiritual matters, the world does not like seeing Christians having any success in influencing the lost sinner to trust in Christ. And we can see that, that Satan is behind that. Um, and he's, he's, he's prompting people. He's prompting the, 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 the um, wicked um, governments or people in governments that are wicked to slowly take over and to slowly push their influence to stop people preaching the word of God. They want us out and they want their way in. We should never be shocked, though, when we face this opposition from wicked people for our faith in God, but we should always be ready to give an answer of the hope that is within us. You can think of uh, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. says there, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy, destroy both soul and body in hell. When we face people, and I know that I haven't really had to face anyone that got angry when I've been able to witness or share the testimony. And normally when you're one-on-one, they won't. But I know that in a group setting, it's a little bit different. When you're with a group of men and you try to make a stand or you, you encourage them not to talk the way they're talking, it's almost like you're a fool. But it's amazing when you're one-on-one, they talk really well. <laughs> um, but we shouldn't fear them and we should we should always stand where we need to as christians as christians especially younger ones who might be old in age but young in the faith it is easy to fear the unsaved and what they may do or say and it's good good to be wise and not put ourselves in positions of danger or confrontation on purpose but at the same time conflict with the unsaved or maybe the Christian that has gone astray, is necessary so that we may have the opportunity to win some to Christ or bring a lost or straying brother or sister back in. We must remember, or <clears throat> must always remember what our goal is. If our, our own goal is just to win a battle or to win an argument, then really God's not in that. He's not going to help us achieve the outcome that he wants. But if we keep the goal of reaching that person for Christ or being a good influence on that strayed brother, God will be in it. Ephesians 6.12, I think I mentioned this one a lot and it's a, Bible, a verse that I, lot, uh, I like. Sorry, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. <clears throat> we need to keep that in mind. When our flesh wants to react, that's not. And we almost do counter to what our, our natural man wants to do. The Chaldeans also themselves, if we think about it, they were really outsiders. 
and they weren't true Babylonians. So they also had something to prove and make sure that their positions were not, je were not jeopardized by these Jewish men who had already gained so much favor in the sight of the king. In the same way, I found that when, we are, when you're talking to unsaved people and you try to make a stand on either moral issues or from a, big, from a biblical point of view or try to share the gospel, they feel threatened at times. And I know that um, we need to keep this in mind. When we're sharing the gospel and, and the viewpoint of what a Christian has, you need to understand it from their viewpoint. Some, I believe, you know, we go back even 30, 40 years ago, most people would have been in a Sunday school. Most people would have heard the gospel. I'm finding with the generation I'm growing up with, they've, none of them have been in Sunday school. They've not heard the word of God. They've not heard the principles of what a Christian should live like. So when you're witnessing to them, or you're trying to make a moral stand, that's a big difference for them. And they may feel threatened by that because you're, you're trying to change their whole world thinking. The whole world view has to change if they were to become a Christian. Much the same way the Chaldeans felt threatened. It's a good thing, I think, to keep that in mind. That's why it's important when witnessing to remind when we're, when we're saying these words to use the Bible. So we can come back and say it's God's word, not our own. And make sure that they understand God has said these things when we witness. If they fear what God has said, hopefully that brings them to, their, to a point of salvation. And there's great opportunities um, there to be had if our focus is right. So in this, in this opportunity, we've considered um, you know, the, the characters, the Chaldeans... But now in verses 9 to 12, we see the, the, the accusation that these characters have brought in. They spake and said unto the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You can sort of really see that these characters are a bit slimy. They knew exactly what they were trying to do. They have probably been for years looking for way to get these guys. And finally, they had a breakthrough. Finally... Um, you know this image that Nebuchadnezzar had, had, had built and this, this, this rule that had been put in place and you know, I, I kind of think that these guys would have been advisors and they probably put these prompts into Nebuchadnezzar's mind hey Nebuchadnezzar you need, to, you need to do this you need to make this rule we know that happened later on as well with, with another king um, oh, I can't come to my mind but um, they would have had to pardon that. They, were, they wouldn't just come into this um, or fall into this opportunity of trying to get these guys in trouble. So they finally they had a breakthrough and they started rubbing their hands together as they noticed that Daniel and his friends did not bow to the golden image. And they thought, finally, here's our chance to get rid of these guys. They knew that Nebuchadnezzar liked these men, these Jews, so they had to be certain that when they made the accusation, they made it sound like it was a complete and utter attack on the sovereignty of the king. First, though, we hear they butter the king up with their sly ways and sly words and their inflating words. Then they carefully remind the king of the law he had made, which was to bow down to the golden image or die by being thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Then boldly they said, The Jews that you put in charge over Babylon have disobeyed your law and this means that they have no respect for you at all we know this was a lie 
<clears throat> pardon me. Because we know that Daniel and his three friends had proven their respect for the king. They, they did everything they could to further the, the, the Babylonian kingdom. They didn't have to, but they did because they had respect. And I think it's wise, like Daniel and his friends, to have respect for our authorities. And that means our unsaved ones too. The Chaldeans really did not respect the king. They were the ones who were disrespecting the king. All they wanted um, was not the best for the kingdom, but rather they just wanted those possessions and positions that Daniel and his friends were receiving at the time. As the Chaldeans started, they tried to butter up the king, as we said, with flattering words. This, was, this should have been alarm bells to Nebuchadnezzar. And anyone in leadership, anytime anyone's trying to flatter you, be on guard. We can think of a, a, a passage in Psalm chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. It says, They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbour. With flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. <clears throat> I think as a general rule, when people start flattering you and complimenting you, watch out because deception is just around the corner. This does not mean that as Christians we can't encourage one another. That's a totally different thing. But when a person is, is complimenting you constantly and flattering you, um, and they're only doing it to gain control in your life, we need to avoid that person and rebuke them. Say, no, no, stop. That's, that's out of line. <laughs> I know that um, even, even outside the church and in, in, in workplaces, we need to be careful of that. If you're given a position of authority, you have to be careful. Men are men. They're, they're, they're wicked in their actions, in their intentions, and, and um, they will try trick you. So when we hear, it's just a little thing to, to keep in mind. But King Nebuchadnezzar here didn't heed this warning. He liked what he was hearing and he was all ears, believing and sucking anything in that these wicked Chaldeans were about to say. By building this image, which was probably an image of himself, the king displayed his weakness to everyone that he could be swayed by his ego being tickled. They got, in, got to the point quickly and reminded the king that he was, one of, he was the one who put these Jews in the positions that they were in. And the way they worded it was because they did not bow down and they did not, that they did not regard or fear or respect the king. <clears throat> Think of that in the world and how they accuse believers of trying to incite, incite violence. And we can think of countries that are very anti-Christian that's normally the tack that the government will take to arrest people or to, to stop churches. You're inciting violence. You're going against what the government's saying. But it, it couldn't be further from the truth, really, could it? Um, history has shown us that when national revivals or within nations, when that happens, that nation is, usually wins out because God is able to bless that nation. When I thought of that, I thought of it even Australia. You can think of the way that we were we began. Our, our laws, our basic laws, were built from the Word of God. Another thing that <clears throat> I heard Dad talking about, and we've mentioned it a few times, was um, the battle where um, was it Bethsaida, where the, the 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 horsemen of Australia attacked in the First World War, and what what a privileged position we had to be able to help Israel in that regard. God's chosen people and probably the youngest nation on earth had a part in that. 
And I believe God looked on that and was able to give us a blessing as a country. And we can say we have been blessed and are currently still being blessed in this country. But unfortunately, I believe Australia and the Western world are starting to descend into God's judgment because we have failed to continue in those ways. It's much like the, the um, nation of Israel, um, I know in, in Sunday School and in Good News Club, have been going through that cycle. Israel obeyed God. They, they turned to him and he was able to bless them. And then they would start worshipping idols, start mixing with the, the other nations, and then God would have to judge them. In his mercy, he judged them to bring them back to him. And they would ask the Lord, Lord, please save us, bring us back. And around and around they went. But unfortunately, I think that um, individuals can do the same thing as well. But the unsaved cannot see this cycle. They don't, they don't even see this at all. Just the same way, these wicked Chaldeans could not understand why God was blessing these three Jewish men. If we turn to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, and verse 10 to 12, 10 and 12. It says there, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Blessed are they which are, which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. We can take comfort in this word when we do face opposition from the wicked Chaldeans in our lives, those people that prompt you, that those, those trials that come, we can take comfort in this word. Pardon me. People before us have faced the same thing. Jesus himself faced the same thing. It is important to stay focused on God's ways when the persecution comes from the wicked. Satan wants us to buckle at this stage and stop standing for the true word of God. We had this blessed promise of the reward in heaven that we will receive. And again, what a great opportunity we have if we stay focused on God. And that's, I believe, exactly what Daniel and his three friends had in mind. But this didn't just happen. It wasn't as though they just lived how they wanted and then all of a sudden this trial come and they were prepared. These were men who were... Go, already gone through a few trials and I'm stealing my funder for later on but they had exercised themselves they didn't come to this point just all of a sudden and it's good for us to, to realise that and remember that <clears throat> so next we see the next point is the great temptation so we're seeing the great opportunity that's now presented to these, these men now the great temptation in verses 13 to 15 of Daniel chapter 3 so verse 13 then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded, Bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. King Nebuchadnezzar, in truly kingly fashion, flipped his lid and went on a rage. This was uh, something that they had seen before. And, and the Chaldeans at this point, we can imagine, were grinning from ear to ear. Finally, we've got it. We got him hook, line and sinker with these words that we've butted him up with. Everything is working just the way we wanted it to. 
The king sent for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and I'm sure he didn't send an advisor to go, when you've got time, boys, come and see me in my office. It wasn't that. It was send the strongest, meanest military men to grab these guys and drag them to me straight away. He was in rage. Um, the, he, was, he was ready to do whatever he needed to. In Daniel chapter 2, we see that this wasn't the first time that Nebuchadnezzar had done this. In chapter 2, verse 12, it says, For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. These, these, Daniel and his two friends had seen the king act this way before. When he had the dream and he, it really had disturbed him, he was worked up about it, and then he brought all the, all the, the wise men of the, of the king, the nation of Babylon and all the astrologers and all the, all the false, false prophets. They couldn't do a thing. And that caused him to get into a fit of rage. And he said, if no one can give me the dream and the interpretation, I'm going to kill the lot of you. <laughs> we can see a trend here in his, in his actions, in his, the way he dealt with things. He was, not, he was known for being a hothead. And that's what made him unstable in his judgments. These three men had already proven that the God of Israel was with them when Daniel was able not only to reveal the king's dream, but also gave the interpretation of that dream as well. And to a T. And that confirmed for the king Nebuchadnezzar that it was correct because he was able to tell him the dream that he had. But due to not being controlled by God, the king, like a lot of unsaved people, have nothing governing their conduct. And when they, when they get into this rage, they make ill decisions. It's only in Daniel chapter 2, verse 47, just up a little bit from the, the um, chapter before, it says, <clears throat> The king answered unto Daniel, this was after he had given the, the, the dream and the interpretation of that dream. He said, The king answered to Daniel and said, Of a truth it is, that your God is a God of gods and is a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing that thou hast revealed this secret. And then he went on to make Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and, and, and gave him the positions that they were in. How soon did he forget how powerful and mighty God was? He knew these men. He knew the, the, um, that God was with them because he would have seen how well they were able to do their job as well so they had the the um the backing behind it but he'd forgotten all that because he was in a rage and that's what i want to talk a little bit about now is that anger in ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 it says be ye angry and sin not let not the sin go down upon your wrath so in contrast to how we see the king react reacting god has instructed for the christian to be angry but to sin not the king, um, the anger of the king was not righteous at all because it was going to lead him to the sin of first not seeing God, the God that these men were serving, and that that's why the reason they couldn't bow down. And it was also going to cause them to, to commit murder by throwing these guys in the furnace. But we know that God had it all figured out. He was in control, and um, this was going to happen for a reason to bring glory to his name. But when facing anger, and sadly it can come from other Christians at times that may be astray, 
How do you and me respond? How do we um, deal with that situation? Do we respond with anger? Do we think, well, they've said some mean things to me. I've got to say some mean things back. Or do we respond by going, oh, I don't know what to do. I'll just cower. I'll just, I'll just plead innocent. I'll just back away. I'll just give them whatever they want. How do we respond? I don't believe either one of those uh, ways is correct, but rather we need to follow Daniel's example of giving a gentle answer of what God has said. Now that's not a guarantee that they're not going to get more angry because we know the end of the, this story. Nebuchadnezzar threw these men in, in the fire. But we must always remember to do it God's way, not take the path of least resistance, even when tempers are up and anger is, is, is shown. You think of Proverbs um, chapter 15, verse 1. It says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stirred up anger. The temptation for the Christian when the unsaved oppose or get angry is to react back with anger. But if we do this, we may lose that opportunity to reach them for Christ. And the same with a, with a, with a brother or sister that's gone astray. We need to, as much as possible, not not respond in anger but respond with God's words what God wants and if they do continue on in anger we can say that hand on heart we did what God wanted us to do but to do that you've really got to know God's word don't you because in that moment everything is going to go out of your head I know it does mine and that's why we need to be in the word we need to be studying the word we need to be memorizing the word so when these hard situations hit we know how we need to respond so when we think about this great temptation, we see the king's rage. But now we see the, the opportunity, another opportunity offered. And this is really an opportunity straight from Satan here. The king did like these men. And maybe, he, maybe a couple of his advisors were, hey, 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 calm down. Remember these guys have, these guys have helped us out. These Jews have, have been profitable to you. And Babylon's doing quite well because of the way they govern or do their administrative role in Babylon. So he gave them a second chance. He said, if you bow down, it will be all good. I won't put you in the fiery furnace and we can carry on. Also, as mentioned before, Daniel had already proven himself. So we've gone through this. We've gone through how he gave the interpretation. So this was running through the king's mind. And because of that, the second opportunity to bow down was given. And what a temptation this would have been. What a, I mean, this is life. They probably, I, can, I don't know, as a kid, I always imagined that where they'd pulled him to was right in front of the furnace. They could probably feel the heat. Maybe he'd already ordered them to start stoking it up to get, make these guys start sweating and make them jealous. I don't know, maybe it's my imagination running off. But... This was real. This is an account. This not, is not a story. This happened. And I think, as, as I tell my Sunday school class and my good news class, when we read the Word of God, we can't just read it like it's a fairy tale because it is not. It is real things that have happened. Let's put ourselves in this situation. Let's make ourselves feel what these men would have felt. So the temptation to give in to this offer or this opportunity that Satan was trying to orchestrate would have been very serious and would have been very tempting. They had already seen that the king, king enraged before and he knew that this kind of opportunity wasn't usually offered by King Nebuchadnezzar. 
And I think that the reason it was offered is because of the testimony these men had. It is good for a Christian to have a testimony with the unsaved. Um, where it is, we can think about what, what, what is the hardest place for you to keep a testimony? In home, yep. Why is that? Why, what, why is that the case? It's because you're around them 24-7, isn't it? There's no hiding. Much the same way, unfortunately, I feel like I'm at work 24-7 a lot of the time. Um, I feel like I'm around those workmates or the work people more than I am with my family at home. That's just the way it is. But also there, anywhere where you're constantly around people, they're going to start to get to know you. They're going to start to get to know how you operate, how you think. And also, we know that um, the unsaved, these Chaldeans in our lives, sometimes will try to push that. They want to test you. They want to see how far you'll go until you break. Some of them may be doing that as well to see if that you're fair dinkum about your faith and your testimony. I believe that Nebuchadnezzar would have been, um, wouldn't have been the best boss for these guys going up through the ranks. They would have always had to deal with this, this hot temper. And I know that many a times when I've been going through my apprenticeship and going through now even in my workplace, I'm always tempted to complain. I'm always tempted to give in to the old nature and start talking about the pay and how terrible it is and other people's laziness and other people's attitudes. I'm tempted to do the least amount of work and, and try still get paid. That's the temptations that we face and, and many other things. But maybe that is just me. Maybe that's not you. Maybe I'm the only one who has these struggles. But I don't believe Daniel gave in. He had these, temp these little temptations, and now this was a big one. But he had a testimony of being true to God and always being honest, always being respectful, never complaining, never whinging. And the people that he was around 24-7, he had a testimony with. And I believe that's why the opportunity... To, to the second chance was offered in the first place. If we go to Proverbs chapter tw uh, 16, sorry, we might wrap it up shortly. Proverbs chapter 16. <clears throat> verses 2 to 8. <clears throat> it says there, All the ways of men are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Every one that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. By mercy and truth iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. But a little better is a little with a righteous than the revenues without right. Pun me. Now this was a good it was a good thing that Daniel and his friend friends had this testimony and that's why they were sec given this opportunity to bow down the second second chance because I think if anyone else had done that by mistake maybe they didn't hear maybe they were deaf they didn't hear all the music and they didn't bow down Nebuchadnezzar would go that guy that guy over there throw him in 
It would have been straight away. There wouldn't have been second opportunities. But they had a testimony, and it was a good thing that they had that, but they could see past this opportunity, this, this wicked opportunity to give in for what it was. And what it was would be to worship a false idol, to worship another god. These three, three men stayed focused even though the temptation was given. How often in the Christian life are we faced with these types of situations where Satan, in a way, hisses in our ear, hath God said, in a roundabout way? Daniel could have had the thought that I'm much more used to the Jewish remnant here in Babylon as an officer in Babylon rather than just ashes in the, in the king's furnace. Well, maybe everyone else is doing it. Let's just do it so we can just get by. God will forgive us. No. And we must realize that as Christians, we cannot give in to temptations. We must stay true to God no matter what comes. God hasn't saved us to be worldly successful or to have a life of ease, but rather eternally successful, to bring glory to him in every decision in life. So let's make sure that when we face these decisions or temptations, that it's not a bad opportunity. And when we're walking with the Lord, we'll see that and we'll make the right decision to, not do, uh, to, to, to do God's will every time. I think we might stop there and when I have an opportunity to preach again, we'll, we'll continue on because we're only about halfway through. But I pray that the Lord um, has given you something from that. It's going to be a bit um, torn in half, but we'll come to the end. That question, delivered or not, keep that in mind because it will, we will answer that in the end. But let's close with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we praise you that you are in control, Lord. And Lord, you were in control in the lives of Dad, uh, Daniel and his two friends. Lord, you knew exactly what you wanted to achieve through these men. And Lord, we know the end of the story. We didn't get there tonight. But Lord, help us in life, Lord, to always see things for what they are and always make the right decisions in life to stand where you want us to. And we pray this in Jesus' name.